So I've been a leader in the vineyard for more than 20 years now, and I still feel like I'm an imposter. Um, I am. Yeah. My name is actually... No. Um, so this morning we are continuing our series in Luke's Gospel. Uh, today's passage is quite short, but it's an important one for understanding what Luke is doing with the composition of his whole written works, which includes Acts. Uh, the passage we're in starts uh, in chapter 9, so if you have Bibles or Bible devices, we're going to read that in a minute. Um, but it marks what I think is the beginning of a new phase or a new act in Luke's gospel. The first act was all about anticipation, where um, we see the announcement and the expectation of the birth of Jesus. And then the second act was all about the adult Jesus actually embarking upon his ministry Today we're going to enter Act 3, where we see that ministry of Jesus grow or begin to grow exponentially, um, where he authorizes and empowers his followers to do all of the signs and all of the wonders that he himself had been doing. And we should remember always that Luke's gospel comes in two volumes. It comes as uh, the book of Luke's gospel and then Acts. We're in volume one right now, but volume two begins with the ascension of Jesus, and then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all flesh to give birth to a new age of the church. And so if Pentecost was the birth of the church, we might see this little episode today as the conception of the church. This is the point at which Jesus indicates that the ministry that had begun with him alone now continues or is about to continue with an authorized and empowered community. So let's turn to the scripture itself. It's Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. And whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. So something I've noticed about this passage and the way that Jesus operates here is that there's a kind of threefold dynamic to how he invites his followers into his mission. First, he calls them to himself. Second, he gives them what they need. And third, he sends them out. Happily, broadly speaking, 
This seems to be mirrored, and Jesus must have been at the small group leaders training, because this is mirrored in uh, a favorite training tool we use, and affectionately call the Holy Triangle of Doom. Um, I don't know why it got called that, it's just stuck. Starting at the apex of the triangle, the first step Jesus takes is one of community, of relationship. First, he calls people to himself. There's a couple of noteworthy things about this action. First, it's not just one or two special people, but the whole 12 that he's chosen. And in the next few weeks, we're going to notice that some among these 12 seem to have a special calling within a calling. Uh, For example, only Peter, John, and James get to experience the transfiguration on the mountain. And even among those three, Peter seems to have a special, unique status of his own. But when it comes to this task, the task of proclaiming the gospel, it's all 12 of those who have been called, and they respond. This is an everybody-gets-to-play moment. And just to get into some really fine detail here and deploy some of my my greeking out. The verb that's applied here to Jesus is really important. In Greek, uh, if you call out to somebody, the verb is kaleo, to call. But the verb here uses the prefix sun. He doesn't just kaleo, he sun kaleos. And sun makes its way into English by the prefix uh, syn, words like synchronize or synthesis or synergy. It's when Multiple things are brought together into unity as one. So Jesus isn't just calling 12 people to operate as 12 individuals. He's calling them together as one body. Jesus himself may have done ministry solo, but he doesn't intend his followers to work that way. He's calling them and he's sending them out as community. He's calling them together. And I think sometimes we make the mistake as Christians by focusing so much on our own personal calling from God that we maybe miss the calling that he makes to bring us together into unity as one. And so having slid down that slope, that nice easy slope of relationship, we then move along the bottom the base of the triangle, where we look at vision and equipping for the task that we have ahead of us. This is where those who have been called together now unite around a particular purpose or a particular person, and they're also equipped with everything that they need. And the vision here, as Jesus says, is to proclaim the gospel, that is, the good news of the kingdom, and I'll speak more about Uh, those words later. But in order to enact the vision, the gathered community is given everything they need, and Jesus also helpfully tells them what they don't need for this task. What they need is his power and his authority. What they don't need includes pretty much everything else. When you get back to basics, all you need to enact this vision is the power and the authority given to you by Jesus. And he says, if people don't want to hear it, don't stress. Just follow the advice of popular music artist Taylor Swift (laughs) and shake it off. Go me, I made a popular music reference. (laughs) 
Taylor Swift is great, isn't he? <laughs> anyway. I just want to talk about the power and authority that comes from Jesus for a moment. Jesus does not call those who have power and authority of their own. Or, to put it in a slightly more subtle, nuanced way, he doesn't choose anyone on the basis of any power or authority that they might already have. Whatever power and authority a person might have seems irrelevant to this purpose. What appears to be needed for this purpose, that is the proclamation of the kingdom, is the power and authority of Jesus. And that is given. It's a transferred power. It's a transferred authority. We don't earn it, and we don't own it. The only abilities we bring to the table are our availability and our teachability. So during this vision stage, we're blessed not because we're the best, but because we're there. We just turned up. We answered the call. We've come, and we're ready to receive from him. And then the third stage, which is upwards along uh, the left slope of the triangle is task or action. Having called a community together, having given the vision and the tools, Jesus now sends them out to do the stuff. Doing the stuff is a phrase that a guy called John Wimber, who was an influential uh, founding member of the Vineyard Movement, was known for. He was an absolutely uh, brilliant teacher. And um, rather than rehash his words, I thought I'd grab a video that is uh, typical of his teaching. And we're going to watch that in just a moment. But just for some background, first of all, don't be distracted by the 80s decor of the, uh, uh, of the churches. And also, it might be helpful just to know that prior to becoming a Christian, John Wimber was a professional musician. And, um, and so he's describing here some of his personal testimony of what it was like for him uh, coming in from one culture into a new culture that was um, looking at the Bible and looking at that for its source of truth and knowledge. So if we can play that video now, that would be great. As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I liked it when he multiplied the bread. Did you like that one? Huh? How about it? Did you like that one? And the fishes, you know, the sardines. I always picture sardines. I like that stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I liked it when he went by the fig tree and said, mm, you know? <laughs> and it died. Can you picture him doing that? I like all that stuff. I like it. I remember last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There are not many guys doing that come forth thing, you know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I liked all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? Now, this is how stupid I was. 
I thought you, that people gathered at the church, had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and everybody went out and healed a few, and cast out a few demons, and won a few people to Christ before lunch. And so the first few times I went to church, I went prepared with the idea that we're going to, you know, ha, I'm going to take Anaheim. I want to go to Anaheim, you know, the deepest, darkest pagan Anaheim over there by Disneyland. That's where I want to go because that's where I was raised. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now that's pathetic, isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it, we sang about it, we preached about it, we prayed over it, we gave to it, but we never did it. We never got to go do the things that Jesus did. And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. <laughs> Didn't he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't want to let me do his stuff. And I, to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff that's going to change the world. It's not knowing it was done once. It's not knowing that it's important. It's doing it that's going to change the world. Somewhere, someplace, somebody's got to start believing this book and acting on it. And I figure it might as well be us. We're qualified. We can read and write, most of us. And we understand that it can be done. So, he says, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. How come I don't get to do God's stuff? It's a good challenge, isn't it? I didn't even know, actually, that Matt was going to do that song, uh, Isn't He, uh, this morning. That was written by that guy. So remember, in the second volume of Luke's works, Acts, uh, he describes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh. And so the manifest presence of God is now not restricted to one human body, one human person, and the ones that he sent out, but it's now available to the whole body of the church, who are now all sent out and so we should be doing the stuff so to recap there's this threefold dynamic to Jesus's invitation into ministry first he calls them not as individuals but as community and then he gives them a mission and the tools to carry out that mission and then he sends them out to go and do the stuff now, I want to say just one last thing about this threefold framework or the holy triangle of doom. 
I think that in any healthy person or community or organization, this represents an ongoing rhythm of three distinct phases or seasons. And the leadership of this church is constantly attempting to discern which phase we were in. For example, when things started to open up after the pandemic, it was clear to us that we were tired and exhausted and we needed to turn the corner from a long, hard period of work and task and action into a period of intentionally building relationship and community. So that was the purpose, to be together, and that was the task, to be together. But then it's necessary to move from one phase to the next into a period of vision casting and equipping. But you can't then stay there forever because you get disillusioned, because you want to do the stuff. And so you move into a period of action and task. But you can't stay there forever because you get tired and exhausted and worn out and burned out. So you need to turn the corner into community. And round and round and round you go, discerning the right time to move from one phase to the next in order to stay happy, healthy, and productive. But although this big triangle represents three distinct phases or seasons, we're not to neglect the constancy of all three things together. We might be in a season of vision casting, but that doesn't mean we don't do anything. It doesn't mean we neglect community. And so, Whatever our given focus at any particular time, we mustn't neglect establishing and maintaining rhythms that include relationship and community and vision building. And actually putting our shoulders to the wheel to do the stuff. So I commend the Holy Triangle of Doom to you because uh, it seems to be the way that Jesus is operating in this passage. Calls them together gives them a mission and the tools to do it, and then sends them out to go and do it. I want to say a couple of things about uh, the gospel and the kingdom. In Greek, uh, this is completely irrelevant, by the way. It's just to make me look smart. Um, In Greek, the, the, the word for good news or gospel is euangelion. And the second uh, phrase I want to talk about is kingdom, which in Greek is basileia. The only reason I'm telling you that is because they are two distinct words that Jesus and the uh, author Luke is using. And they're both in use in this passage. And in verse 2, Jesus sends them out to do two things. Proclaim the kingdom of God and heal diseases. And then in verse 6, They go out and they do two things. They bring the good news and they heal diseases. Now, let me say that again. Jesus tells them to proclaim the kingdom and to heal. And they go out and they bring the good news and they heal. So there seem to be three possibilities for what's happening here. Possibility one is that Luke just used the wrong phrase on one of these occasions. Oops, did I say they brought the good news? I meant they proclaimed the kingdom. Or possibility two is that the disciples actually went and did the wrong thing. Like, did, did Jesus say we were supposed to proclaim the kingdom or was this a good news afternoon? Pretty sure this week's mission was good news. Kingdom next week, right? Yeah, right. 
or possibility three, which, in my opinion, is the most likely option, is that the two phrases, the two terms, are completely interchangeable. They mean the same thing. The good news that they are bringing is about the kingdom of God. Interesting that he uh, doesn't pull any punches in that little sermonette. He says, we don't have to do it, we just have to believe it was done. And he says, that's pathetic. It's interesting to me that folk who deny that the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit comes in ways that we connect with the kingdom breakthrough that we see in the Gospels and in Acts. Folk who would deny that never seem to reject that we as Christians are supposed to proclaim the gospel. And yet here in this passage, the gospel is the kingdom. These are synonymous terms. You can say gospel or you can say kingdom, but to Jesus they seem to mean the same thing. Without the kingdom, there is no good news. And the proclamation of this good news seems to never go out on its own. It's never just saying, hey, hear the good news. Hear ye, hear ye. It comes with healing. It comes with kingdom breakthrough. It comes with manifestations of the truth which Jesus was proclaiming when he said, I have been anointed to bring the good news, to heal the sick, to to give sight to the blind, to proclaim freedom to the captives. And so if we're called to bring the gospel or the good news to the world, which I think is pretty uncontroversial in most churches, then we're also called to proclaim the kingdom of God. And the proclamation of the kingdom is always supposed to take place alongside actually doing the stuff of the kingdom. Not just words, but also wonders. And so that's the challenge for us today. I just want to touch very, very briefly on the little interjection that appears in this text, where news of Jesus appears to reach Herod, who Back in uh, the old days, when Jesus was about to be born, Herod tried to nip this one in the bud. Same Herod. And this is actually one of many instances in Luke where the question is posed, who is this Jesus? But what I find interesting about this occasion is that the news of Jesus reaches him after this ministry of the Twelve. And this is yet another indication that when people see the ministry of Jesus' followers, it should look like the ministry of Jesus. It should look so much like the ministry of Jesus that that the people who are getting wind of this, getting news of this, aren't saying, who are these people? But instead they're saying, who is this Jesus? Over the coming weeks, we're going to see this question answered in a variety of ways, but two things are always held in tension. On the one hand is the indescribable and immeasurable glory and magnificence of God. 
And on the other hand, there is this there is this position that Jesus has taken upon himself, this lowly position of the suffering servant. And as we see the text both ask and answer the question, who is Jesus? We're invited into another deeply relevant question, which is who are we? And that's what this passage addresses. Because when Jesus gathers people in and then sends him out, he does so in order to transfer his power and his authority so that when the world sees them, they see him. They're gathered into Jesus so that when they're sent out by Jesus, it's to represent him to carry on his mission of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And so as we come to ministry time in just a moment, the invitation is, as always, to come for whatever you need. Come all who are thirsty. Come if you want prayer for whatever reason. But I did feel led to invite for three specific things. And I'll begin with D. One is a sense of disillusionment with church as a community. You may feel like you love Jesus, but you're having a hard time loving the church, whether that's globally with all of the things that hit the news headlines, or locally, and it's the person sat next to you. Raise your hand if that's you. Jesus really does tell us that we have to love one another, and sometimes that's hard, to be honest. But like it or not, the starting point of our mission to proclaim the kingdom of God is to come together as community, to be one. But Jesus is on hand to give us the strength and the transformation we need to make it possible for us to do that. So disillusionment. The second thing is desperation. Just, if you have a desperate need to see the kingdom break through in some part of your life where nothing but the power of God can help, and we want to step into faith together with you and ask our Father in heaven that his will might be done on earth as it is in heaven could be an issue of health, of relationships, of finance, whatever it is. Let's step out with the power and authority that Jesus has given to us and seek his kingdom. So disillusionment and desperation. And the third thing is doing the stuff. Some of you just want to be used in power by God, and that's wonderful. And if that's you, I don't want you to come forward for prayer. I want you to come forward to pray for the other two groups of people who have come forward. So disillusionment, desperation, and doing the stuff. If you want to be used by God, then be seeking his kingdom right here, right now. So why don't we stand, and I'll pray.
and the band will come back up and play some soothing melody. Calm Holy Spirit. God of our mothers and fathers, come be our God. Let the things of the kingdom not be just things we know about from a book, but things that we can tell about to our family, to our friends, to our colleagues this week about what happened this Sunday in the town hall in St. Andrews. May your kingdom come. Come, Holy Spirit. So, if anything that's happened in the worship or in anything that has been said today has touched you, or if you're in one of those groups, disillusioned, desperate, come forward in just a moment to receive prayer and then a bunch of other people who are just longing to be used by God to do the stuff are going to come and pray with you. There's nothing special about us except the fact that we're here. Uh, John Mumford, who used to lead the Vineyard UK, he said, if you want to know if you're qualified, check your pulse. So, Father, we thank you that you have called us to be here this very morning, this very day, and we long to see your kingdom come in the name of Jesus.